0: Welcome to Behind the Fiction, the book lovers podcast, where we deliver interviews, insights and ideas to passionate book lovers who want to stay in the stories they love. I'm Alexa Larberg, and this is episode 72. Today we're interviewing Candace and Eric, the narrator and the author for the Roseland series. This interview is super interesting. You're going to get a lot of insight into audiobook production and how this series came to be. You don't want to miss it. Let's get
1: to the show. Welcome back to Behind the Fiction. And today we have something that's really cool. We're going to be talking about audiobooks and the creation of audiobooks. And we're talking with both the author of the Roseland series, Eric Eugland, and the narrator for the Roseland series, Candace Thaxton. Uh, so, Candace, uh, can you first just tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, so my name is Candace. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I am a voiceover artist, but I also am an artist in other ways and uh, a land steward and a food justice activist.
1: What is a land steward?
0: Oh, I manage a public park, a public food forest in Lower Manhattan. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a weird life.
1: And Eric, um, you and I met for the first time uh two years ago now. I was thinking it was a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago at uh, 20 Books to 50K. It was a treat for me to meet you because I've been a big fan of your work for uh, a number of years. Eric, for those who don't know, is the author of the Roseland series as well as a number of other books. I I think it's safe to say that he's a prolific author. So, Eric, welcome to Behind the Fiction. Thank you. So let's, let's get started. I want to talk about... First, the idea of Roseland, Eric, and, and when you first came up with this and the idea, Roseland was originally, when it was, when it was first written, it was written and published as a number of standalone shortish books. Is that right? That's right, yeah.
2: <clears throat> it was originally written um, as six novellas that tied together as a single volume with the idea that then there would be three volumes of six novellas each that would tie together the, the sort of overarching story.
1: So when you when you began this, was mm-hmm. it? Did you have an eighteen book arc that that you that you planned on telling the story?
2: I had a three volume, uh, you know, a larger three act structure that I planned on telling. Um, I didn't have it broken down into eighteen parts, but I had you know this is the first section, this is the second section, this is the third, um, and then I just kind of as I worked, I progressively broke it down smaller and smaller. So when I would start volume one, I would okay you know this is the huge story i'm telling that takes three volumes this is the mystery that takes one volume and then each individual story has its own little mystery within it
1: did you intentionally or is is it safe to say that it almost follows like a tv series type uh, storyline where there's, there are the individual episode stories and there's the longer series, well, not season story. And then there's the entire series story. That's kind of the way I, ex- the sense I get of it.
2: That's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. I just felt that was the, the best model to follow when you're writing something that's episodic in nature is, you know, TV has been doing it forever and, and, mm-hmm. with, you know, success and, and seeing how readers would sort of take to it and, um, trying to uh, hook the readers at the end of each book and then provide them with the story that's going to keep them coming back.
1: And when you were writing this uh, and there's a reason I'm asking this question, what, what is your writing? Where's your preferred writing spots? Are are you alone somewhere? Are you in a crowd? How do you like to do it? Um, I mix and match a lot. Uh, You know, Prior to sort of,
2: uh, you know, COVID lockdown, I would love to, you know, go to cafes and uh, sort of write wherever. Um, I did a lot of writing for this in in bookstores and uh, I started writing this when I was living in New York. And so, you know, there's various public spaces and, you know, write in a Dunkin' Donuts for five minutes or on the subway or the bus. A bus can take an hour to go 10 blocks, but it's a great writing time and, you know, and then I moved to Los Angeles and I would uh, write at bars and, and wherever. Obviously now it's a little bit different and uh, you know, I never leave the house anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry to hear that. So, and, and, and we'll get back to the, the story of Roseland, but I want to switch over. You're on the West coast. I want to switch to the East coast now uh, to Candace and Candace here a few years after Eric has written the book, you're contacted by podium. Um, presumably you're given a, a script. I don't know whether you were given all three scripts at once or how, how does that work for you? Uh,
0: I think, I think they gave me all three, but you know, I'm usually doing multiple audiobooks at once. So I kind of, I read the first two, I thought just so that I could know where I was going. Um, cause it's always important to kind of have a sense of who's going to come back and, you know, characters you've got to keep track of and stuff like that. Um, And then uh, I read the third one after the fact. Um, Yeah, or not after the fact. I read it right before I recorded it.
1: And did you record them sequentially or were were there gaps between them?
0: Uh, There were gaps because I had other uh, deadlines. I had other projects. So like I did a book about Bonnie and Clyde and I think between this one and book two. And so, yeah, I mean, it kind of jumps all over the place. It's cool to like jump around genres like that too, you know, do something that's like, like, you know, this kind of cool noir kind of um, world and then, like, go do some, like, you know, Southern historical fiction and then kind of, you know,
1: it's it's cool to be able to kind of
0: play all those roles.
1: And it, it's conceivable that people listening who listen to audiobooks a lot might feel like the creative work is all done by the author and the narrator is just reading. But I personally don't believe that that's the case, and I'm, I'm assuming that you don't as well. You're bringing your own creative flair to the story. So I mean, how does that work for you? When you're sitting there reading the story for the first time, are you just absorbing the story? or Are you thinking how, how you can bring the story to life?
0: Um. I think it's a little a little bit of both. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I think in my particular voiceover career I get tasked with a lot is a lot of um, uh, multilingual books, polyphonic books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I'm often having to be like, oh, God, okay, now I've got to do an Australian accent. <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. Um, but then I think I just kind of take the ride of the story the first time I read it, obviously I'm going through and I'm marking up like, okay, how do I say this word? Okay. Where is this place? Like, what are these things, you know, that I need to look up? Um, and then when it's time for me to actually record, I think it's, it's a pretty like kind of intuitive embodied process. I also, after I get done recording, I go back and I edit myself. Um, I kind of just do it all in one chunk. I don't like stop and edit while I'm doing it. And so I'll often listen back to myself and be like, oop, Nope and like go back and redo some things if I need to.
1: So Eric talked briefly about the difference between his side of the creative process, pre-COVID and post-COVID. Pre-COVID, would you, since you're in New York, would you occasionally work in studios or did you always work from a home studio? Uh,
0: It depends on the project. Uh, Sometimes I am offered in-studio gigs, um, but a lot of what I do, I do from my house, yeah.
1: And what's the difference? Is, Is it... Is it harder having someone there with you listening and, and in effect, and presumably telling you immediately if there's a mistake?
0: Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a lot easier in a lot of ways because you've got somebody to kind of bounce your ideas off of. Um, and I don't have to do my own editing, which is always nice. And yeah. they usually buy you lunch, which is always a perk. I don't have to feed myself. <laughs> Um, but you know, that's not always something that is, uh, Oh, my dog is drinking water. You can probably hear it. Uh, that is not something Sound that's path. always possible. Yeah. And that's the other thing about working from home. I live in a loft in Brooklyn. So if my next door neighbor decides that it's time to have a Robin dance party at 1130 AM or vacuum, like I have to wait and deal with those type of things that you don't have to do when you're in some big cushy studio. Um, but yeah, both, both work great. What I like about doing it from home is that I can do it on my own schedule and my own time.
1: Okay. Well, before before we switch back to Eric, I, I just want to let everybody know that I, I am a big aficionado of, of, of audiobooks. I love audiobooks. I run the audiobook division for LMBPN Publishing. And so for the books that we publish ourselves, I'm usually the one that's selecting the narrators and, and choosing things. Um, for books that we sub-license to others like Podium, uh, they will give us some suggestions. And when I heard your voice, I just thought, wow, that's perfect. And I was hoping that Eric would, would agree. And uh, Eric, Eric did agree, and I was thrilled that you were able to, to take on this project. And I, I have to say that I, I think that your performance of Roseland is one of the best that I've ever heard in an audiobook, And I absolutely love it. So uh, it's a treat for me to have you both on here. Same. Oh, shucks. Thanks. So, uh, Eric, back to you. Let's now talk about Roseland. Uh, give, us, uh, give us sort of the, the overarching storyline of, uh, of Roseland, if you would. Um, the overarching
2: storyline. Yeah, it is about a, a stripper turned private detective who is investigating the death of her mother
1: uh,
2: and the corruption of Portland, Oregon, I guess.
1: And this was a few years ago, like before Portland was really in the news.
2: Yeah, this was started in 2014.
1: And I think one of the things that you wanted to do with the series, I know because I've had a chance to talk to you about this before, it was to sort of make Portland a character in the series. Yes.
2: I mean, it's such a – it's an interesting city that is just kind of – I mean, all cities kind of have a unique flavor to it, but I felt that Portland has often been – either unexplored or just satirized and hasn't necessarily been lived in as a relatively real place. Um, and that's what I was was aiming for is trying to make it come to life, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I think you did. I've never been to Portland, but now I feel like I have (laughs) from, from reading and listening to the books. Let's talk about, um, you know, the, the primary characters of ginger, uh, ginger's mother and, Mm -hmm. um, and Rhino. So when you're developing characters, are, are you a, I need to create the characters first kind of person, or do they just kind of develop as you write?
2: Um, there's a mixture. So usually I will have a, a point of inspiration that I'm coming from, and I will um, uh, build it from there, start writing. You know, I had the sort of genesis of who those, those characters were and especially with Ginger and her family knew the backstory that I was working from. And so a lot of it just sort of built out from there. Um, Rhino was very vaguely based on someone I, I actually knew um, at least in, in terms of his physical appearance and sort of initial personality. And so then I just sort of took it away from who that real person was so that I could make him his own unique person um, from, from everywhere else.
1: And Ginger is a P.I., um, mm. you know, as, as you said, she she wanted to become a P.I., and so she just sort of just became a P.I., <laughs> you know, she, right, right. she just sort of tar- started taking cases. Um, how closely did you want to follow the norms of the genre, and, and how did you want to vary from those?
2: Well, uh, to an extent, I wanted to follow the norms of the hard-boiled genre, which is kind of the subgenre of of noir fiction. And so I started doing that, but it's it's not as well known, so even if I am following the tropes and and working through some of those those kind of ideas, it does sometimes seems seems more like I'm subverting what noir or sort of contemporary mystery has become. A lot of people seem to think that it somehow fits into cozy mysteries, which I've never really understood, but I've also not really pushed back against mm-hmm. just because, you know, it's such a good genre to to sort of pull readers from. Um,
1: I have to say that um I've I've read some Cozy and most of the descriptions that I hear of Cozy don't involve the kind of language that we have in, <laughs> in Roseland. <laughs>
2: exactly.
0: So yeah, I've never really that's a new term for me. I'm going to have to Google that after we get off of here.
1: Yeah, it's it's um yeah, they're think Agatha Christie for uh, cozy Okay. Murder she wrote. Ah, love it. Okay, got it. So yep. so Candace, when you when you take on a project like this and and when you read and when is it that you th- feel like you've got a sense of Ginger? Because it's it just like, as a reader, a lot of times I'll read a book and then listen to the audiobook book and, and go, wow, that's completely different than what I thought it was going to be. And in this case, it's like, oh my gosh, she's Ginger.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny that uh, or with Ginger, it wasn't hard. I think Ginger and I probably talk pretty similarly. We probably have a pretty similar sense of humor. Um, that kind of like, self-deprecating sarcasm. Um, I, I come by that honestly. So um, uh, it was one of those things where I read it and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I think I get how this goes, you know. Um, I mean, you know, Eric would have to tell me whether I totally botched it or not. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of rolled out, you know. She, she does a lot of kind of, like, self-qualifying or, like, you know. I, 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 yeah, it just kind of is in there, you know. And so you just got to follow. You just got to kind of follow along behind it.
1: One of the things that I got such a kick out of with your performance is that there are, and I don't want to give anything away, but there are a number of scenes in all of the books where Ginger is startled. And in your performance, I mean, it's like you're startled. It's, it's really... <laughs> It was great. <laughs> I I got much more out of that than uh, from reading. And the reading, it's like, okay, yeah, she's startled again. But yeah, let's let's spin back to Eric here. Eric, you know, I I know you've had a chance to listen. So, what were your thoughts when when you heard your words brought to life in this way?
2: Uh, I mean, it was. I mean, I don't want to sound too too sort of uh, gushing with praise, but it was definitely like I felt like this was was how I had imagined it you know it was very accurate to what I had going on in my head and sometimes with audiobooks that's not necessarily the case especially as the writer you know the the other series I have that are audiobooks I definitely allow the audiobooks to dictate more of how things are pronounced and and sort of um, how that that world comes alive in terms of language but this one was was very much like listening to how it had sort of with the, the internal monologue that I was creating while i was writing it sort of listening to it so i think it was very spot on I and mean, it's just very enjoyable for me to,
1: to listen to when you're writing do you ever think you know your career's evolved a lot since you first started writing roseland but when when you're writing do you ever think about the fact that uh, some somebody's going to perform this at some point in the future
2: um more so now just because i do have contracts in place where you know I have deliverables I have to 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 give out so I definitely and I know the narrator of the other series really well at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so sometimes I do either make things easier or make things more difficult on purpose as I'm as I'm sort of writing it. I've definitely put in a few tongue twisters for him uh, on purpose, <laughs> but other than that I don't really think about it.
1: And Candace, do you ever get the sense that an author gives zero thought to the fact that somebody's going to be performing this at some point
0: oh man uh yeah yeah definitely I mean there's been some moments where I'm like you want me to say what you want me to say what you know kind of things um but not in this case and I have to say like the thing I really like about doing audiobooks is that I get to be all these characters right if I was just like a normal on-camera actor I could only just ever look like this white girl here you know as opposed to like I really loved being Rhino. Like I, I kind of like hope in my next life, I come back as a really big strapping gay Samoan dude. Like that's what I want to be in my next life. I now know. Um, Cause it was really fun to get to embody someone so very different than who I am, you know?
1: Yeah. And you, you could, you could carry along big bags of guns wherever you go.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I can do that now, but I'm not going
1: to. Yeah. Probably, probably not wise right now. So, from a uh, from a narrator standpoint when you're when you're first previewing the book so I don't know what's what's the term when you're reading it and kind of getting it ready to perform what do you what do you call that
0: i just call it reading it but yeah okay. previewing so when, when sounds
1: when good when you're reading the book do you get wrapped up in the story or do you, or are you just thinking about how am i going to do this
0: uh, in this instance I definitely got wrapped up in it um sometimes yeah I'm I'm you know depends on the quality of the writing uh yeah in this instance I definitely got wrapped up into it and I was like oh man I wonder what's gonna happen I wonder I wonder who's gonna that's totally like you know I'd be like oh I bet I know what's gonna happen, you know and like I was waiting to see kind of like whether this thing would be revealed or that thing would be revealed um but I'm also having to kind of at the same time partition my brain and be like, all right, how many Russian characters? How am I going to differentiate between those? Okay, like the, these the Chinese mob bosses. How many of them are there? How am I going to you know like all of this stuff that you kind of also have to keep in mind just technically to be able to perform it.
1: And Eric, when you're writing Chinese mob bosses and and Russian gangsters, or do you have voices in your head, or are you just you just going with it?
2: Uh, I usually have. Um, usually, yeah. And I, you know, I have the advantage of growing up overseas and spending a lot of time traveling in in various sort of worlds. So I, I have experienced a lot of, uh, a lot of these individuals before. So I do have a lot of voices to sort of pull from in that regard.
1: So Candace, from a voiceover actor perspective, I, I, I did, I did spend a few minutes on your website. I know that you have some, some language experience. How do you, maybe even when you're just getting started, how do you get these voices for, the, for these various characters that are, you know, non-American, non, you know, they're not the people that you, you see on the street corner every day?
0: Yeah, well, I've traveled a lot too. I also live in New York and I'm very blessed yeah. to have an incredibly diverse set of friends Um, so, you know, when all of a sudden I have to say some random Arabic, I can holler at my boy Tarek and be like, dude, help me. You know, with this (laughs) one, it was my friend, Tanya, like, you got to help me with this Russian, you know what I mean? Like, um, and so it's always, it's an amazing gift for many, many reasons, but to have friends who also find it really entertaining that all of a sudden you have to learn how to say like a whole phrase in Portuguese or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and so that always really, really helps. And it, it also, in the same kind of way, gives me, kind of reference markers for people that I'm I'm kind of borrowing their intonation, their lilt, their phrasing. Because um, you can hear those things even when someone's speaking English. You know, you can hear the way different languages inform, not only the way we speak, the way we think, everything about how we operate, where, where our voice sits in our mouth, all of that, you know?
1: So Roseland Volume 3 is coming out January 11th, I believe, is, is the release day. But, of course, no one is going to start with Volume 3. We hope not. Anyway, I hope not. Uh, start with Volume 1. And for people who are curious about or, – or people who are – there's this term called creditworthiness in terms of the length of a book. Is it long enough to use my Audible credit on it? These are long books, and, Candace, you probably know this from narrating. The first one uh, finished was a little over 16 hours, and the next two are 17 hours. So you've got 50 hours of fun, really fun, funny uh, P.I. story entertainment here with, uh, with the Roseland series. And I can't recommend it highly enough. This is, this is a great collaboration between Eric and Candace, and uh, you know, I hope you guys will check it out. Eric, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, Candace, thank you, for, thank you for, um, for interrupting your schedule to join us. Uh, I also really appreciate it. Um, your time is, is valuable, and, and we appreciate you, uh, you helping us. Eric, where can people learn more about you if they're interested?
2: Um, my website, ericugland.com, E-R-I-C-U-G-L-A-N-D.com.
1: All right. And Candice, I know that you're, you're involved in lots of different creative aspects. I don't know if you want to share any of your, uh, your how, to, how to find out more about me stuff or not. If, if so, now's the chance. If not, I'll just thank you.
0: Yeah, you can just Google me. There's only so many of me.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you guys very much. And thank you so much for listening and watching.
0: Thanks. Bye.